What is going on, everybody? The podcast, Pete Forsey. I've had the, and I don't want to sound like uh, the sky is falling on me because many more people have it worse than I do. But from a technology standpoint, I really had a tough go of it. My iPhone, because I'm not upgrading to the $299 per month with iCloud storage, I just I, I refuse to do it. This little digital space, like they act like it's uh, limited in some capacity. I'm just I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to stick with the basic plan and I'll continue to finesse my way through it. But they're they're catching on to me and they're making it tougher. And what they're doing is is they're slowly taking things away and now it's it's all starting to add up. First, it was iCloud storage and I couldn't take pictures and then my flashlight started working. And then I was having spotty connection on the phone earlier. They're, they're just slowly, and then the battery as well is dying sooner. Uh, my phone, and granted, I think the phone's from like 2016. It still has the button. People make fun of me for that. Maybe it's just an old phone, but I, I think Apple has a little something to do with it as well. And then, namely, and most recently, my furnace is you know from 1997, here in the new digs, and I've had the heating and cooling people come out right before this Arctic blast that's coming through here in two days, recording this here on Wednesday. So actually, it's tomorrow on Thursday. I got a furnace on the frets. For a couple days here, me, Miss Taylor, did not have heat. It's currently running, fr- fingers crossed, knock on wood, all that, that it makes it through here. But they're telling me that this is on borrowed time, and soon I'm going to have to get a whole new HVAC system. So with that, with some spotty Wi-Fi during work, I, you know, I'm just going to have a tough go with it, all right? And, you know, I, I'm not going to complain, but, you know, it's kind of had, it's thrown a wrench in some of my plans here, but nonetheless, the podcast moves on. We're going to be talking about Mets and Correa. That was something that we woke up to that was wild, and then we got Wilson Contreras. I haven't touched on that signing. The NFL and referees, the Red Sox on the baseball side of things, they've been frugal, and... Uh, The Cardinals and just the National League, where do they stand? Let's get to it. It's the podcast episode 104. No place other to start here on Wednesday than Carlos Correa spurns the Giants after the Giants feel that the medical review is not up to their standards. A very weird, strange, it's happened before, but it's very infrequent. I know the Orioles with... Grant Balfour, Dexter Fowler, a little bit more of a bigger name, but none have ever had the magnitude of an effect and just the name, that 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 sticker shock, if you will, of Carlos Correa. 13 years, $350 million. He was supposed to be a San Francisco giant, and they put a halt to the press conference for yesterday on Tuesday did not give an explanation, did not use Correa's name, just said the press conference that was supposed to be held is now canceled. The media knew something was up. Did not believe yesterday that it was going to nix the deal in entirety, but then you wake up. I actually was getting up early to drive Ms. Taylor to work. 5.40 a.m. and three hours earlier, the notification on my phone from John Heyman, which would have put it at like 2 o'clock Central Time, 3 o'clock Eastern, Stein, Eastern Standard Time, excuse me, was that Correa was going to be a New York Met. 
mind-boggling, absolutely mind-boggling that Steve Cohen is willing to pay $111 million in penalties. It's not going to a player. It's not going to anyone other than Major League Baseball for going over the luxury tax, de facto salary cap, for for spending too much money. He doesn't care. This billionaire, I saw a stat that the money that Cohen has dished out this free agency alone is 4.6% of his net worth. It's like $800 million. Cool, 800 mil. This guy is in it to win and for the fun of running a baseball team. Some of these owners, even Bill DeWitt for the Cardinal fans out there, this is this is a business. This is them trying to have some sort of a guaranteed model because sports really is guaranteed revenue, even though DeWitt and other owners say that it's not profitable. If it's not profitable, I don't. why, why are you in it? Why wouldn't you be selling the team immediately? doesn't make any sense. This is really a venture for them just to funnel cash into their other business ventures. You saw it with Jeffrey Loria. He bought the Marlins and then profited off of them, and now he's using that money for his other businesses. He's, he's namely made his mark in the art business uh, of all industries. But this Cohen guy, man, he really just wants to win a World Series. And I know that he, he really has nothing left to prove, so it kind of makes sense. I know he's um, had, just like anybody who's made that type of money, some shady things go on, and he's been just a, uh, 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 a maestro in, in the area that his expertise is in. But now he's just saying, you know, th- this is for fun. I'm going to run the New York Mets, my childhood team, and he's going out and he's putting his money where his mouth is. He's getting a shortstop to play third base because he already signed another shortstop to $300-plus million. And he's got Justin Verlander, reigning Cy Young Award winner. This is great for baseball. I was all in on A-Rod two years ago, who I do think should own a team as well because he's obsessed with the game of Major League Baseball. Nobody studies the game, works harder, and has also played it more than A-Rod. Now, is he shady? Does he come with a pass? Yeah, but I can make the argument that for the sake of millennials and those younger than us he would also be an owner with a personality and that's who steve cohen is he's using twitter he's responding immediately to these deals it's not the general manager of the mets who is up at 2 a.m from the report from john Heyman of the new york post it was the owner and when you have an owner with personality good or bad jim Irsay being the uh the latter there in the nfl jerry jones being a good personality in the nfl when your owner has personality, that is good for the sport. It really is because it provides headlines. It provides ammo to either rally your fan base or your fan base hates you. And really, in those situations, it gets your team on a national level and only increases your, your value, whether it's monetary or um, intangible. So I, I love this for the Mets because it continues to shine a light on Steve Cohen from a money perspective, who he is and how he's going to operate with the Mets, but then it also puts a great product on the field and it makes the Mets a giant in the NL East and in the National League. And it just furthers the point that the Mets, they got the right man for the job in ownership. I know it's been a while since we connected, so it's almost like it's old news and we're already flipping the page to what they're going to do next, and they do need to do more. They missed out on Carlos Rodon starting pitcher-wise. I don't think there's much from a 
top dollar standpoint, I would want the Cardinals to go to get a big starting pitcher. Rodon was really the last one, and even with him, I'm kind of glad they, they did not go that six years that the Yankees did. But the first one and the biggest one that I loved, Grand Slam, no pun intended, Wilson Contreras. Cardinals got him for $57 bucks. I think. It was like four years, 17 mil, average annual value. Boom. Big bat, catcher, adequate defense, can play left field, can also obviously be the DH. This checks off all the boxes, and it only costs you cash. The prospects that you love, the shortstop, the right-handed pitchers in your farm system, they're all still there. Yet, all I could see, because he was eventually traded a couple days later from the Oakland Ace to the, to the Braves, Sean Murphy, Cardinal fans, Cardinal media were obsessed with what could have been in Sean Murphy landing in St. Louis. It's absolutely mind-boggling to me that they're still playing this game. Sean Murphy does not have the track record. Sean Murphy does not have the flexibility. Sean Murphy has not proven that he can be a long-term hitter like Wilson Contreras has. He just hasn't. Yet, this game of this prospect for this player, three-team trade, like it's just this exercise that I think the media and fans like to go through, and I like to do it too, so I'm not saying it's it's a bad deal, but it was almost kind of devaluing the Contreras signing as if you didn't get the best of the best and you needed to. No, you, you got the best business move that you could do, and that's getting a catcher and getting a catcher that can hit and then also getting the bonus of getting a catcher that can hit and also play more than just the catching position. He can play the outfield, he can DH. And you got it just for cash. That's exactly what the Cardinals need because it now affords them the flexibility to pull off a different trade. Another bonus, Wilson Contreras, after you see this press conference, he wanted to be in St. Louis. Some guys say that. Some guys fake it. This guy, you could tell. From the story with the interaction he had with Yadier Molina to then when Albert Pujols had his, I think it was like 500th home run when the Cubs were in town, he had the whole story. This guy really meant it. He put on that jersey that Yadi gave him and signed for him, and he put it on in his hotel room or at his house with his wife. And, you know, I don't, it wasn't rehearsed. It didn't sound rehearsed to me. It wasn't theater. Wilson Contreras wants to be in St. Louis. You got a motivated player. You got the position that you needed. He can play other spots, and he can hit. You needed another big bat. You didn't just get the glove. Yet you're still going with the what could have been with Sean Murphy. I do not get it. One thing that I've always been controversial about, and maybe it's because of my father and just his point of view and what he was always letting me know growing up, whether... It was me playing a game or watching a game and complaining about referees. He always kind of challenged me and said, well, did you think about this, Pete? Have you thought about it this way? Do you understand the refs have to do this? And now it's just ingrained in me. But I do think I come with factual evidence and that the NFL referees, and it's not agreed upon for some reason by fans watching the game. And I understand that fans are emotional. But you also do have to recognize facts. And the NFL referees, 
after whether they botch a call or they're actually getting a call correct, if a NFL player runs on the field, tosses his helmet by rule, the NFL referee, the official has to throw a flag on Saturday with that Minnesota game uh, where the Colts, uh, you know, let it slip away. Just an embarrassment for Indianapolis in that game. I know that the fumble was clear and obvious, but have we not seen that before? I know Twitter's freaking out saying that they have it. Yeah, we, we can Google pretty quickly, go to YouTube and say NFL worst calls and something of that nature. There will be 10 to 15, 20, maybe 30 of those plays where there's a fumble of that uh, obscenity. It's right there. So when I saw that play, was it bad? Yeah, it was egregious. But I said, yeah, I've seen plenty of this before. Guess what? Sometimes it just happens. Just like players drop passes, just like players fumble the ball, just how coaches mismanage the clock, we dissect it every single Monday. The NFL referees are doing the same thing. They are going to mess up. It's just how it is. Now, I can understand that it sucks that it's not the players and coaches winning and losing when you have a a call botched in that situation, but why isn't it accepted? We've been going on and on and on about this for years, yet people are still losing their minds. It doesn't make sense to me because clearly the NFL wants to have the best officiating possible. They do not want this as a headline. I don't think they're holding out on the best referees. It's not like they're they're holding back the, the, the best ingredients in the kitchen. They're not holding out on the yams for any of those who have uh, seen King of Queens with Arthur Spooner. The best yams are out on the field. This is the best officiating you can get. So unless that you want this to be fully reviewable, 100% robotic, automated administration of the rulebook in the National Football League, this is how it's going to be. There's going to be humans on the field determining calls. And you can pull your hair out. You can slam on your coffee table. But guess what? This is how it's always going to be. NFL officials making physical and mental mistakes. One thing that has become increasingly alarming is the Boston Red Sox in the American League East where the Yankees got Rodon, the uh, Yankees also got Aaron Judge. The Orioles have not taken the steps to get the marquee free agents that they were hoping for. I think that's really a... uh, a result, a reaction to just the money that's gotten thrown around that really nobody saw coming. Uh, but the Rays always competitive and Baltimore going to be competitive after what we saw last year. You know, the Boston Red Sox, really weird that along with the Yankees and the Blue Jays, who of course made the playoffs last year, they're just sitting out. And I think this John Henry... And just three-man ownership where they also own the Penguins and they also got Liverpool. And I know like LeBron's with the Red Sox. It's it's really just kind of weird because you got a very, very bright mind in Shane Bloom who comes from the Rays, who operates with a very, very small budget. But now he's got that budget to go after guys like Xander Bogarts. And guys like Mookie Betts, but then promptly trades away Bogarts or uh, uh, Betts and then lets Bogarts go. Um, Very, very strange. And, you know, this is maybe the one out of all the 
10 plus year contracts that have been signed thus far where I'm okay with maybe Boston sitting out. Time will tell. It sounds like overall with Bogarts, though, while I think it's smart for them not to go 11 years, they did not try hard enough overall to even sign him to five years or six years. They tacked on one year of his current contract for $30 million. Think about how embarrassing that is. Two-time World Series champ, leader of the clubhouse, never gets in trouble, has been a part of multiple seasons in Boston, winning seasons, average seasons, uh, losing seasons, Alex Cora, different manager. You kill for those types of guys in the clubhouse, and you add on an additional year, and then after that don't even try to negotiate. I guess maybe they really didn't want him. And that's kind of strange because while I do not think 11 years is smart to go, yeah, I think maybe five years is. For that type of player, winning player, consistency at shortstop can move over to third base or first. Obviously, DH too. Maybe a little outfield since you got uh, Green Monster and left. It's kind of weird, man. It's kind of weird. And I, I am the first to admit that sometimes going into spring training, we get a little too caught up in this team's tanking, this team doesn't care, and the next thing you know, they make the playoffs. It happens every year where someone's quote-unquote ahead of schedule with their rebuild. And the Sox are one of those teams where I, I would like to defend them, but then you go out and you sign Justin Turner, 38 years old. He's never played first base, and you're signing him to play first base even though he plays third base. And then Kenley Jansen, a guy who is the slowest pitcher in baseball as far as uh, actually getting the ball, getting on the rubber, coming set and throwing. It takes forever and ever and ever. They have this time. They have this track. It's statistically proven. There's going to be a pitch clock in Major League Baseball, and he gave him $32 million bucks. I don't know if this is going to age well. It's, it's, it's weird, the moves that they are making, and then all the reports, I don't know anything about this Yoshashana Japanese player. I don't even know what he looks like. I don't even know if he's left-handed or right-handed. But industry consensus was that 90 million bucks for this guy? They were ballparking it at half of that at 45 million. So Boston's really got some head scratchers going in. And I would like to defend it just like I defend some other teams who are always kind of getting ridiculed this time of year for not trying hard enough, and then it turns out they actually got a pretty good team because they know internally what they have. Maybe Boston's going to be like that. It was kind of like that in 2021, but this is really, really strange that there's just not a whole lot of effort. It's not like they were going back and forth, counter-offered. Boris came out and said something publicly, and the the negotiations were, were clearly... Ongoing, it, it was that Boston sat out. You're a marquee franchise. You have the cash. I don't know if they're just living off the the past playoff success. I mean, as far as the mid twenty or uh, mid two thousands and then twenty tens, they obviously have championships in there, but they've also bottomed out quite a bit. And Boston, man, New England, this is an intellectual fan base. Think about all the the big universities out there, all the uh, historic and just uh, prestige university. You got smart people. They know their baseball. They know what a winning ball team looks like. And yeah, I know Shane Bloom. Like you're obviously the one that that knows these players, and you know your models and all that. But it's just kind of weird that the effort to re-sign and retain good players 
It just hasn't been there the last few seasons. You know, one of those questions that naturally comes to mind, and, you know, the, the season will bear this out, and sometimes in the offseason you can get in this, this train of thought, but the St. Louis Cardinals, are they falling behind significantly in the National League? I mean, when you see the Padres continue to sign 300 million contracts, they got Machado, they got Tatis, they got Bogarts. Uh, they're now they're still paying Hosmer, but uh, you you just got some big name players. Josh Hader in the back end of the bullpen obviously have some starters, and the Dodgers they're always going to be a juggernaut. They obviously have star power that they added the last few seasons. Didn't really do it this offseason, probably holding out hope for Shohei. And then, of course, you got the Atlanta Braves. They locked up their young core. Mets we talked about. The Phillies are the ones that made it to the World Series and beat the Cardinals. They got better this offseason with Trey Turner and Taiwan Walker. And again, willing to spend. And meanwhile, the Cardinals. And I'm all for Wilson Contreras. I love it. But it was, I don't know, a little too celebrated for my liking uh, initially, before, of course, the Sean Murphy, where I, I mentioned earlier the backlash, or not the backlash, but just kind of the, uh, from everyone. Wilson Contreras, you know, $50 million for a starting catcher. Great. Good business. But is that all you got? Is there a trade coming? Because right now, I'm looking at five teams in your league that are clear-cut better than you. And maybe this is good enough to win the division, but... You know, the Brewers, they're feisty, man. They got a lot of brain power over there. I know they just kind of switched leadership, but Matt Arnold, he's been in the organization a long time. I think he's going to know how to put a competitive team on the field. They're not going to be pushovers. The Reds, they got some prospects coming up, infield prospects. The Cubs, they got better. They signed Dansby Swanson. It's it's not going to be a laughing stock. Pittsburgh, they got some okay players. I'm not saying these teams are going to win the division. Cardinals are definitely in the driver's seat, and you can win the Central. But when we're talking about winning the playoffs now, and you just see teams that are clear-cut going above with star power, they're going to have the edge in that seven-game series. They're going to have the edge in that five-game series. Anything can happen in baseball. I, I'm the one that, that says it all the time. you got to be hot at the right time. But the more star power you have, the likelier you're going to have your team and your club overall rise to that occasion. And look, you, you have number one and number two, MVP, Nolan Arenado, and, and, and Paul Goldschmidt, obviously. But... You know, kind of looking at this, and you look at the other teams, they got those players too, and more. Happy holidays, everybody. Merry Christmas. We're going to continue to pump out the content with the NFL and MLB offseason carrying on, but everybody have a happy holiday. Tell your friends and folks about the podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, everywhere. We're on there, and we'll see you guys next time.